Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you today. I've been away on vacation for the last number of weeks. Everybody needs vacation, right? And uh, even pastors need a break. And um, but, and I say this with all sincerity, um, it's good when breaks come to an end because um, I just miss being with our community. So it is good to see you today. I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see all of your faces with crystal clarity, um, which is a heads up for some who are looking to nod off and say, I can get away with a 20-minute sleep and the pastor won't see me. Um, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. But I hear there's so many new people coming to King Street, and uh, we had a vacation day camp there that was just like, from what I understand, I'm actually just starting my 17th year here at King Street, sort of like this month. Yeah, so that's kind of exciting for, for me and my family, and we've always wanted to put roots down in a church community and serve for like uh, a really long time. So we're enjoying the adventure of being family with you. Um, but, but as far back as I can remember, we've never had a VDC that reached that many people in one week. And so thanks be to God that in the middle of all the stuff that's going on, the changes that, uh, families and children were still coming and being, um, again, exposed to the gospel. And so, yeah, we were praying for that. And, um, and many of you were part of it in serving in some capacity or praying or even uh, making a financial contribution. And we had some Ukrainian children here with us, uh, which we made possible as a free, uh, a free way of coming and joining us. So uh, again, stay tuned on some ways we can get involved and help there in, in the fall season. But if you happen to be new to King Street, I would love to get a chance to meet you out in the lobby afterwards and just come over and uh, I was going to say tug on my sleeve, but it's way up there. Uh, just say uh, I'd like to introduce myself to you and I, and I would love to get a chance to meet you. And uh, in fact, uh, September 11th, mark this date on your calendar. We've been doing this for years. Uh, it's called the Church Family Movie and Meal Night. Um, it is coming back again because COVID is in the rear view mirror, right? And uh, so we're going to eat together and we're going to watch a movie. Um, you're, you're, probably some of you are familiar with a movie called Fireproof or The War Room or Courageous. I think we've watched all of those here. Um, but anyway, we're going to watch a movie by the same uh, producers uh, called Overcomer, I think it is. And uh, so we haven't seen it together as a church community. We're going to have a nice meal out in the lobby and then watch a good, inspiring, faith-filled movie together. And we do that in September because people scatter and they travel in July and August, especially they go to all sorts of different places. But when we come back together, we get a chance to reconnect. And again, if you happen to be new to us, sharing a meal with some other potential new friends around a table and then enjoying a good movie. It's always fun. So mark your calendar. It's Sunday, September the 11th. And uh, we'll give you more details in the weeks ahead and how you can register for that. But that should be a, a good night together as a church community. Uh, so thanks again to pastors Al and Gary and the pastoral team for taking good care of you while I was away. And we always do it as a team. And uh, so, uh, again, um, they kept me updated along the way of all the good things that were happening here. So just appreciate all the good work that they, they do uh, on a regular basis, but especially when I'm, I'm not here. Um, so you've been continuing a series, right, through the book of Colossians. And we've just been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Again, if you happen to be new to King Street, we take the Bible very seriously. Not literally, and let me explain what I mean by that. 
literally would be that, again, Jesus said, if, you're, if your eye uh, causes you to sin, gouge it out. Your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If we literally looked at the Bible, we'd be handless and we would not be seeing one another. Jesus is speaking figuratively, right? But we need to take those words very seriously. And I, I really do think that um, communities that put Jesus at the center take the word of God or the Bible very seriously because Jesus did. And, uh, and so we're just going to unpack, um, I think it's 11 verses today, starting at chapter three of the book of Colossians. But just in case you're picking up with us now, the book of Colossians is a four chapter book. It's in the New Testament, and uh, it's written by a man named Paul. He is an apostle, which really means he's like a sent out one, one who had been in the very presence of Jesus, and uh, one who, uh, again, had the privilege of writing letters to churches as the Spirit moved upon him that were circulated around, and we, again, continue to uh, familiarize ourselves with God's Word. And it's this four-chapter book written by Paul from a first-century prison, and he is talking primarily about the supremacy of Jesus. You will find that theme throughout the book of Colossians. He is not adding Jesus to an already list of um, lowercase g gods. He is saying Jesus is supreme. Uh, Jesus is over uh, all things, including the universe itself. All of God's material and spiritual creation, God is over it all. In fact, um, his kingship is uh, over the cosmos, but it's also over workplaces and it's over households and it's over the domestic parts of our lives too. The kingship of Jesus has great implications for how we do our day-to-day -day life. And so we always talk around here about what does that mean for us? Um, the gospel should translate into action and application into our real-time life experience. Our marriages should be helped by the gospel. Our parenting should be helped by the gospel. The way we conduct ourselves in the world with friend and perhaps foe uh, should be helped by the gospel. How we manage finances, how we look after our bodies. This is an integrated faith. Our faith is not something that we get exposed to on Sunday and we don't integrate it Monday through Saturday. The gospel of Jesus, as Jesus even said, the kingdom of God is like yeast that works through the whole batch of dough, right? It starts small, but it grows to become something huge where the birds come and nest in this big tree that's grown. This is the kingdom of God. And so today what we're gonna do is talk about how all of us, every one of us today, not one of us is exempt from that in this room, whether you would consider yourself at the edges of faith or moving to the very center of church life and the gospel itself and submitting yourself to the rulership of Jesus, wherever you may find yourself on that journey, all of us are invited to uh, experience transformation. I don't know if there's anybody in this room. I hope not, because that would mean we're in a very unhealthy place. If we would acknowledge, I have no changing to do. I have arrived. I've come to this place called complete sanctification. I have been made holy in every way. There is no more growth required of me where I may resemble Jesus more fully tomorrow than I do today. Everybody in this room is in need of some form of change. Right? There's areas of our lives that might be known to those. Sometimes, sometimes they're known to those who are closest to us and unknown to us. The areas where we need to be doing some changing. 
So my question for you today is how ready are you for some change? You know, we're not always ready for that. The spirit comes alongside us. He gently prompts us, nudges us toward a greater conformity to Jesus and his likeness. And we're saying, I'm kind of happy right over here where I am. I've got a well-managed life. I've got a well-managed faith. I know that if I die today, I'll be with you on the other side. All of the insurance things have been covered. But the spirit is saying to us, I want more for you than that. I want you to grow further along the good and beautiful life. Change is never just for the sake of change. Change is always so that we might become more fully resembling the God whose image we bear. I need to do some changing. Uh, the Bible, you know, talks about this word that we will look at in just a moment, and it's multifaceted. But Paul used it um, multiple times and in multiple different ways to get at this work of the Spirit that was nudging us towards transformation. So, what is it, and you don't need to say it out loud, what is it that you need to change about you? Where are there areas of weakness that you want to become less weak? Areas of strength that you want to grow? Areas maybe of sin that need to be surrendered and abandoned? Areas of character that need to be grown and developed? Let's just sit with that for just a moment. And then as we move through the teaching, we'll hold that before the Lord and before ourselves. And we'll have an opportunity before we go to say, Lord, would you transform me in this area of my life? And again, perhaps there's someone here today, there is some stubborn areas in your life that you've wanted to change for such a long time. In fact, you're very discouraged and you maybe bear some shame over the fact that you can't let it go or it won't let you go. I hope today that you will be encouraged and not shamed. And I hope that you will say yes to the spiritual power that's available for you to grow and make progress in that stubborn area of your life. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? There are some people here today who love to read. Any readers in the room? I read this book. I put it in the category of classic. Uh, well, I say that lightly. It's not really classic, but it's a deeply helpful book uh, written by a man named Dr. Larry Crabb. It's called Inside Out. If you struggle to make sense of an area of your life that you wish you were further ahead on than you actually are, or it's getting in the way of you truly being the person God has called you to be. It's called inside out, consistent with Jesus, right? He says, you clean the, in, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence and all sorts of things. He says, first of all, clean the inside. The outside will look after itself. Sometimes as religious people, we, we know that that tag isn't probably the best compliment for people of faith, but sometimes religious people can be accused of, and maybe sometimes it's true of us, we put our Sunday best on and we roll into church and, you know, we, we take the form of a worshiper and, and yet inside there's a lot of stuff going on that may not be known to the neighbor sitting to our left or right. God knows and we know. And we're living this life that's somewhat incongruent with what God has called us to be. This book uh, holds out some powerful biblical principles. And uh, so it's called Inside Out. Real change is possible if you're willing to start from the inside out. Larry Crabb, if you're a reader... Check that one out. That's the book recommendation for the Sunday. All right, so are you ready to take a look at the Bible? 
Um, our passage to ponder today is actually our text. Colossians chapter 3, uh, the first 11 verses. The context of this uh, passage, again, is about, we're like halfway through now, the book of Colossians, and Paul is inviting us to consider what practical principles look like for us as it relates to making change. So here we go. Since then, he's writing again, and this might not be for everyone in this room today. He's writing to the Jesus-following community. If you're not a Jesus follower, there is still value in this passage, but it breaks down a little bit for you because Paul's making an assumption about the reader that they are in Christ, that they've made that decision to be, to put their saving faith in him and that they're actively following. Okay, so that's the premise. So he says here, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Did you catch that first part? He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Again, this is the supremacy of Jesus. He's elevated. He's over and above all things. That's where Christ is. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that we are positionally seated with Christ in heavenly places. So he says, set your heart. That's where your heart should be moving. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. We, we could kind of delineate this and talk about the thoughts and the affections of the heart and the mind because for a Jewish audience, the heart and the mind were very much connected. He says, so set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. I think I mentioned this to you a number of weeks ago. In the original language, there's no punctuation. There's no periods, there's no commas. It just keeps going. So Paul's saying, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. <laughs> you're dead to the things of this world in the lower nature sense. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, I love that phrase. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Maybe we'll just pause for just a moment before we go through the rest of the text. I have a question for you to sit with again. What would it look like for you to be the true and real version of yourself, but whom others would say, this person lives for Jesus. What would need to change about your life in order for that to become more clear? When Christ, who is your life, appears, he says, then you also will appear with him in glory. Past tense, for you died, when Christ, who is your life, appears, future tense. Then you also will appear with him in glory. He says, now this is where the tension of the biblical text emerges for us. He says, for you died earlier, right? And now he says, put to death. So, so what is it? Am I dead to those things or am I putting them to death still? The answer is yes. I have died. I made that decision. And yet I crawl off the altar over and over and over again and allow that lower nature to get the upper hand in my life. This is true of all of us. He says, for you died, but now he says, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, well, what is that? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
And he says this sobering statement. He says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says, you used to walk in these ways, past tense, right? In the life you once lived. He says, but now you must also, in an active sense, rid yourselves of all such things as these. And we'll dive into some of this. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. He says, don't lie to each other. That's not who you are. You're people of the truth. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. It's like you've changed garments. You've changed your clothing. Don't put on that old stuff. That stuff's dirty. It stinks. It doesn't fit you anymore, right? You've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew. I love this. This is about the community of faith. Doesn't matter your political persuasion. Doesn't matter what your net worth statement is. Doesn't matter what your um, initial language is or the color of your skin. It doesn't matter. He says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. There are no distinctions. I like that. In a, in a world that we're living in right now that wants to put frames around other people and categories and say, you're on this team, you're on that team, the gospel of Jesus and the Christian faith calls us to think very differently. All right, so some big ideas for us as we move through this teaching. And, and again, I, I won't be terribly long today. Um, Pastor Al last week helped us understand that we are not transformed by rule keeping right? The gospel of Jesus, this invitation to be people of faith who order our life around Christ, it's not about ticking the boxes. It's not about earning favor. It's not about rules. It's about the rule of Jesus. That's very, very different. Rules can be heavy, and sometimes religious communities can invent new ones just for the sake of wanting to make it heavier for people. The gospel of Jesus is the gospel of grace that invites us to live under the rule of Jesus and there will be things, as Paul outlined here, that we will say no to because they're just not good for us. They're not true reflections of who God is. And so we want to be the kinds of people who come under the rule of Jesus. And it's not about rules. But in our text for today, here's the three big ideas, and we'll unpack them in just a moment. The preoccupation of the mind and the meditations of the heart shape our character. The preoccupations of the mind and the meditations of the heart shape our character. And these are not always, in fact, they are very rarely observed by others. Sometimes our face will reflect our hearts. But often adults learn, this is the difference between adults and children. Children can't pretend very well. Adults can pretend, we can fake it. Things can be going on in our hearts, but our, we put on a smile face, smiley face. Our hearts and our minds shape our character. If you look at what comes from a person's life, you will see that over time, the thoughts and the ruminations of the soul have now been evidenced in behaviors and actions and ultimately character. Secondly, our position in Christ, those of us who put our saving faith in Jesus, informs our present moment practices. And I'll explain what I mean about that in a few moments. And then finally, we are transformed in community and the testing ground is our relationships. 
All right, so we are changed by resetting our thoughts and affections. And this is a moment-by-moment -moment experience. It's not something you do once, we consistently do it. And this is not easy. It's not easy. I don't want to leave you with just a big idea. I want to actually help you. I hope to help you as we move along. So you've heard it said before, we are what we eat. That's true, right? We are what we eat. The middle-aged bulge right here for me. Um, I've just some few potato chips jammed in there, but uh, we are what we eat. And it's so true biologically, right? Um, the cells just reproduce and, and literally the, the nutrition that we take in becomes part of who we are. We are what we eat. Well, I would say this in a spiritual sense. We are what we think. We are what we think. Uh, the thoughts that we take into ourselves and meditate on and what we choose to, to consume uh, has an impact on who we are. Um, the King James Version says this, as a man or woman thinks, so is he or she. And so the thoughts that we think have a powerful impact on us. Um, our thoughts can sometimes just go unnoticed, though. They just, they happen moment by moment. You're thinking a series of thoughts today. Um, you're, you're going to think tens of thousands of thoughts today. And, and often we just don't pay attention to them. They just come to us like a firestorm. And, and the quality of our thoughts that we choose to um, deliberately meditate on will have an impact on who we are. And some of those thoughts stick to us because of who we are. Um, but our, our emotions, our feelings are impacted by the thoughts we think. Uh, if you want to change how you feel, back up the bus and evaluate your thoughts because your thoughts impact your feelings. And often, unfortunately, we act in ways that are emotionally charged. And so when you think about it, at the end of the day, how we think impacts how we feel and how we feel impacts what we do and the choices that we make. Uh, so if we could become increasingly aware of our thoughts. Now, I do need to caution some of you because of your personality. There is something called religious scrupulosity, and it's a big word. And uh, scholars write about it, and um, counselors' offices can be populated by it. And here's what happens. Certain personalities are like Velcro to their thoughts, and they actually experience a high measure of shame because they become obsessive about their thoughts. Some thoughts, they come to us because they just come to us, and we need to just let them go. Just like a stream that goes by, just let it go. Don't meditate. It's not worth meditating on that thought because we are not only our thoughts. We are the thoughts that we choose to give value to, okay? Our thoughts can come to us for all sorts of reasons. And the last thing I'd want some of you to do today is to leave here with increased levels of shame because you had a bad thought. I've worked with people in the past who've come and they will just literally prosecute themselves because of the thoughts that come to their mind. And if you ever try to stop a thought and you think about it long enough, guess what happens? The thought never goes away. I'm not going to think about red fire engines. I'm not going to think about red fire engines. I'm not going to think about red fire engines. What do you think about red fire engines? Let it go. Just let it go. The best way to do that is substitute that thought with another thought. And that's what Paul is getting at in this passage. And so we'll, we'll look at that here in just a moment. But here's the good news for us today. Change is possible. You and I can change. And here's why. 
the most creative force in the universe, who is a person, if you've put your saving faith in Jesus, lives inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, singular, and he lives in us, plural, as a community of faith. This is why when we gather, there's a special sense in which the spirit is present among us. But we don't leave him here. We take him with us because we are sacred dwellings. We are the temple, collectively and individually, the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. So whatever it is that you need to change, God can help you with that change. So there is a Greek word. I won't complicate matters on you, but I just want to draw attention to it because it shows up in three passages and we'll look at it here. The word is morph in Greek, and it is used in three different senses. It's where we get the term for conform, form, and transform. Uh, Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 12, I think it'll come up on the screen in just a moment. He says, uh, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That word literally means don't be a photocopy or a replica. Don't imitate the culture. Well, just because my neighbor does it doesn't mean I should do it. And just because it's acceptable in culture doesn't make it right. He says, do not be a photocopy or a replica of the culture. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And that word literally means metamorphosis, uh, where we get this idea of a caterpillar becoming a, uh, sorry, where, yeah, caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Literally, there's this sense in which once I was in the kingdom of darkness, now I'm in the kingdom of light. Once I was lost and infected by sin and dominated by its rule, but now I am indwelled by the spirit and learning what it means to live out my true purpose in this world. I was once only a sinner. Now I am a saint who still sins on occasion, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully not every moment of every day. There is a progression to my saintliness, right? He says, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. How am I changed? Thought by thought, choice by choice. It's incremental. When I was teaching at the Bible school, I tried to just drive this into our future pastors. I said, we need a spiritual, spirituality that's incremental, not always dramatic, and not always lightning strikes. Those can happen. They can be beautiful moments when it's like, I just had an encounter with God. I've had them, and I hope to have more. But we need a spirituality that's incremental. It means that every day, every moment, I'm making decisions. As C.S. Lewis said, you'll never just meet a normal creature. You are either meeting somebody who is becoming more and more like a son of hell, or becoming someone who is becoming more and more a son or a daughter of the one true God. We are morphing. We are changing. We cannot live static. We have to be somewhere and going somewhere. Unfortunately, in the Christian life, there is regression and there is progression. I tried to explain to our students at the college, it's like the stock market uh, chart. Have you seen the stock market charts that go like this? Well, over time, if you buy a stock generally or an equity fund or something like that 30 years ago, it's probably over 30 years going to be up and to the right. But at any given time, there were these moments, right? There were little corrections and ups and downs, and there were blips on, there blips on the screen when you think about a 30-year window. Jesus understands that people who still have a sin nature 
sometimes fail and sometimes disobey or sometimes don't get it right. But it's called the grace of God. It's called the atonement of Jesus that covers you and puts you in a secure place before him where now what you're doing is I'm not earning, I'm expressing my devotion and my love for God. It's very, very different where we place the emphasis. And so we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. There's an incremental part or aspect of this spirituality, and it is progressive. We ought to, over time, resemble Jesus more and more and more and learn from those moments where there are corrections or there are disobedience, experiences of disobedience or whatever that might look like. And so we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And when that happens, here's all the good news, guys. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's a wonderful thing. And that's what God wants for all of us. Now, there's this other word, formed, right? I don't want to lose you along the way here, but this conformed, transformed, and then formed. Galatians chapter 4, I love this illustration Paul uses. It's like a, Pastor Kristen has not had her child yet. We're praying for her. It's supposed to be any moment in time, and maybe it's happened while we've even been gathering for worship. Who knows? But it's about that time for her and for Jared to celebrate the arrival of their son. Really exciting. But that little baby boy has been growing, and he has been maturing, and he has been, again, taking on the form of what God has been doing. Psalm 139, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. By the way, we celebrate we celebrate life at conception around King Street Community Church, by the way. We just think that's a beautiful thing to celebrate and honor. Uh, my dear children, Galatians 4, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This embryonic process that happens, Paul says this forming that's going on where we're being changed is like incremental. Cells are dividing and multiplying in the mother's womb and, and this child is taking shape and organs are developing and brain tissue and all this stuff's going on and, and they're starting to all of a sudden that week this and week that resemble more and more. It's like, I see fingers, I see toes, I see all of that stuff, right? This is the work of the spirit forming Jesus in us. And that's why I say incremental moment by moment by moment. If it was one day, you probably wouldn't look at it. Uh, one of those ultrasound pictures, the next day, you might not see any change. But the next week or the next month, you do, right? We are beginning to resemble Jesus. It's over time and instantaneous results in the kingdom. That's not a microwavable approach to spirituality. We should probably push back against that to some degree. It's not always immediate, but it's progressive and it's incremental. And so, uh, again, back to our thoughts for a second. Boy, time goes quickly when you're preaching, teaching. Uh, we got to keep moving here. Um, thinking influences emotions, and emotions influence behavior or conduct or actions. And Andy Stanley said it this way. He said the very same thing I said, but so much simpler. He says, attention determines direction. Attention determines direction. There it is. And then Paul, again, lower level thinking sets Christ aside, right? Set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. Higher level thinking focuses on the elevated position that Jesus occupies, that he is king. All right, number two, here we go. We are changed by allowing the past future reality to inform the present. Um, it's easy to get preoccupied with all that's going on in this present world. We all do that. We forget what has been done for us. We fail to bring to mind all that will happen in our future. Uh, but Paul says, for you died. We looked at this already. 
Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is the truth about you. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So what do we do? That's our past. We died, our present, we put to death. We say no to all those characteristics in our lower nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. He says, no, these are not fitting for the people of God. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. So here's what we have done and here's what we continue to do. We have resigned. If you've ever resigned from a job, you have said, I quit, I'm done. I give my two weeks notice, my four weeks notice, whatever that might be. I'm not returning back to that place. I'm not going back there again. I'm going somewhere else. We've resigned. We've been resurrected, as I've already mentioned. That spirit of Jesus is in us, and we can overcome. We're going to watch that movie, Overcomer. We can overcome with the help of the spirit. And we have been regenerated. We've been made alive by Christ himself and by his Holy Spirit. Let me read this passage, Romans chapter 8. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature... This is when we were away from Christ, when we hadn't given him our life, we hadn't surrendered ourselves to him. When we were dominated by the sinful nature, we would think about sinful things, back to the mind again. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Have you found that to be true in your own life? It never did obey God's laws and it never will. It takes you somewhere else. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you, again, here's the assumption, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. So Paul is saying, if you're a Jesus-following person, then you are controlled. You're supposed to be controlled by the Spirit. And then he says here, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. You will hear us talk about the Holy Spirit a lot because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to live inside of us and prompt us and direct us and remind us and bring us more closely to focus and to live a life that's oriented around Christ. You and I are just not able to do this on our own. We don't will it, even though our will is part of it. We need the help of the Spirit. Signing up to do good with our lives can become a huge burden if we do it only in our own strength. We need the help of the Spirit. Um, number three, here's the final thought for us today before we wrap up. We are changed by interactions with people and our progress is revealed in our relationships. So it's the work of the Spirit, but the Spirit uses people. I've said this many times around here, especially to the married couples. If you're married, God has put you into a, an environment to accelerate your change. Um, 
It's not possible to be in a marriage relationship without being in an environment where you are going to be confronted with change. Two different people from two different families of origin, two different personalities, two different ideas about how the toothpaste should be squeezed from the tube, whatever, come together. And it's like, how are we going to make this relationship work? It is an exercise in compromise and choosing to esteem and value and honor and prefer and all of that. And that sometimes just cuts against the grain of our selfish, sinful nature. All the married couples in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's not limited to married couples. It's friendships, it's workplace environments, it's community, it's sporting teams, it's, it's churches where some people just rub us the wrong way. Scripture calls it differently. He says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another. I, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday and we were chatting about something and they said, oh, trust me, I'm very sharp right about now. And uh, all of us can experience what it means to ex, you know, have the sparks just flying because this is the way communities function. Um, we are a gift to one another. And, and diversity can be challenging and diversity can be extremely refreshing and it can be just absolutely beautiful, but it calls the best out of all of us to look across a room or to look across an aisle or to look across a coffee table and to accept the person in front of you. So I, I leave you with this thought. I've just got a couple more to go. But when it, when it comes to relationships, if you want to know, if you want to know how you're doing in the spiritual life, there are a few areas that we should look at. And maybe we'll just go to the last, I've got a last uh, point here. We'll just go to that one. I think that's the most important one to camp on for just a moment. Um, there, there are three areas. If you want to really get an honest assessment, how am I doing in the spiritual life? How am I doing in my relationships? How are my relationships really going these days? This is going to give me an idea of how I'm yielding to the Spirit how I'm following Jesus. It doesn't mean I'm trouble-free and without challenge, but are my relationships largely moving in a reasonably good direction? Now, remember this too. Paul says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You cannot live with peace, with, at peace with everyone when people don't want peace with you. So that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about those kinds of relationships uh, maybe it's a husband-wife relationship. Maybe there's challenges in a family life. Maybe it's in a workplace setting, whatever it might be. It's like, how am I doing these days with, with what I'm responsible for? How am I moving towards these people? Am I postured with grace and acceptance? Am I moving towards them with a learning posture? What does that look like? Or, or am I a wrecking machine in relationships? Am I, am I offending people all over the place? Am I, am I doing the two-step dance, but everyone's got, you know, black and blue marks on their big toes, if you know what I mean? I did a course uh, a number of years ago, and I still remember it because it's so helpful for me. The three areas that we ought to hold in front of us as it relates to drilling down even further when it comes to relationships, to say, how am I doing these days at, living at leading a transformed life? Uh, here's what they are. According to Dr. Gordon Smith from Regent College, he says that our words, this is big, our words will reveal our maturity. How do we speak to one another? How do we speak about one another? Is it seasoned with grace? 
Is it always reaching with an olive branch to build a bridge? Or as Paul wrote earlier here, is there slander and cursing? Is there anger and rage and malice? Paul says, no, 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 that's not who you are. The spirit won't let you get away with that. There'll be conviction. You go to slander somebody and speak poorly of somebody, there'll be a sense of which, no. When I talk about the conviction of the spirit in this room today, do you know what I'm talking about? When all of a sudden you do something or you go to do something and you feel that, we all use different language for it, but it's like a check. It's like a little hesitancy. It's a resistance. It's a discomfort. You just feel like, no, it's not the right thing. Can't do that. Or if you did it, you, get, you say, man, I, that was offside. I just know that I should not have said that. The words we speak. And the words we speak will either infect or nurture relationships. So that's the first one. How are we doing with our words? Sexuality. Hot topic. Well, always a hot topic, I guess. But hot topic in our culture these days. What does God-approved sexuality look like? Dare I go there, right? The Bible talks about sexuality that's God-approved. Pastor, I like these parts of the text. I don't like these parts of the text. How many times have you heard me say this? We do not sit above the text and critique it. We sit underneath it and surrender to its message. I'm not its author, and I'm not its critique or critic. Do I like everything that's in the Bible? Do you like everything that's in the Bible? Well, maybe I'm the only one that sometimes finds hard things there, but some of you who may struggle with tithing, it's like, I don't like reading those passages. I don't like those because I know that I should be doing something. Sexual expression. What does it look like to live a pure, God-honoring, Christ-pleasing life as it relates to my sexual expression? And then the last one is money. We just touched on it briefly. How do I handle money? Am I over-consuming, spending more than I earn, living life consistent with a debt culture because I'm just, I can't say no to myself? Am I sharing what God has entrusted to me to, with other people? Am I being generous? Am I giving to God what belongs to God? These are, these are all invitations, right, to live a transformed life. And... Um, and it's always, always, 100%. And if we don't get this, we'll miss the forest for the trees. It's always 100% good for us. Always. If it's the words we speak, our sexual expression, the way we manage our money, the way we invite Jesus into every part of our life is always so, so good for us. God is not a cosmic killjoy who says, I want to make these people's lives difficult and hard. I want to create a cosmos, make people in my image and likeness, and then just sit back and say, no, I, I know you're only built to carry 60 pounds, but I want you to carry 100 pounds. God is just not like that. God is saying, come near. The whole message of the Bible is this, and with this I will end. Come near. If you're new to the Bible, God is saying to you, come near. Come near. Come close. Be with me. And when we were with God, 
we're with the source of life. We are with the one whose image we bear. We're with the the one who promises to protect and to watch over his own. Then, So, how near are you these days? Are you close by the Father? Can you hear him speak to you because you're that close? Can you catch his heart? Can you see his movement because he's in sight? Or is he far off? If he's far off, it's not because he's run away from you. It's not because he's hiding from you. It's not because he doesn't want to be close. It's because we've gone away from him. So, may you hear the whisper of the Spirit today to just say, come close. Come close. Come close. Come near. Be with God. And he will lead you to beautiful places in this life and in the life to come. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. Here's how you get close. I hold my arms out like this as a symbol to say I surrender. I'm open to you. I want you. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I want to do this. I want to behold the presence of God. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you today that you have invited us to reconsider where we find ourselves today. And this has been an invitation. I hope and pray by your spirit to invite those who may have distanced themselves in some capacity, the stresses and the complexities of life and the challenges and the invitations to sin, And all the things, Lord, that the world holds out for us, the pursuits that are not bad, but they're not best. God, they have carried us away to the far country. For the one who is remote today, I pray that you would help them not to feel or hear the judgment of God, but to hear the invitation of a loving father who says, come home. And so I pray, God, that you would help all of us to um, be as close to you as possible. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way for us to be close. And we say yes to your sacrifice. We say yes to your invitation to follow you. You lead us to the heart of the Father, and we want to be at home there. We were made on purpose, for a purpose, and that is it. So, Lord, whether we're feeling a miles and miles away or whether we're just meters away, we pray that you would help us to just turn our hearts again back toward you. And whatever change is required, whatever transformation is needed, may it be done so that we can truly resemble you more fully in the world. And we pray all of this in Jesus' awesome holy name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. So why don't we stand together if you're able, and Pastor Al is going to come back and and wrap up our morning.